Well, good morning, everybody. I want to just uh, let you all know before we get started here today that uh, we have pre-recorded the worship service for this Palm Sunday as we pre-recorded for last Sunday as well. We did this just prior to the governor's uh, mandate that we should be practicing a shelter in place. And so we wanted you to know that we're not disregarding that. Uh, Pastor David and his team came together last week pre-recorded two weeks worth of worship services, and now we'll just wait and see what the governor has to say. Uh, The original mandate was that we should shelter in place until April the 6th. It appears that that's probably going to be extended. If it is extended, then we'll have to figure out what we're going to do in terms of worship. It may just be Pastor David or Pastor David and a few others, uh, but we won't be calling in uh, large numbers of people to, to lead us in worship, even on video if that continues to be the case. So we wanted you to be aware of that. We do hope that you're enjoying the worship uh, time as we've, uh, as we've recorded it and uh, as we've uh, put these messages together as well. Well, let's pray together this morning before, uh, before we move into our message time. Father, we, we worship you. We are thankful for this Palm Sunday and for what it represents, this, uh, this glorious and triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into the holy city of Jerusalem, the people rejoicing, Lord God. And, and now, in hindsight, we're able to see what would take place within a week, Lord. These same people would be crying out, crucify, crucify. And our hearts break for that, Lord God, and yet, in some sense, they rejoice as well. God, as we move now from this Palm Sunday uh, through this holy week into Good Friday, and then Resurrection Sunday itself. God, I pray that you would meet us, that you would be with us as we uh, open your word this morning to the Gospel of Matthew as we speak through this text uh, where uh, your son Jesus, in great mercy and compassion, uh, healed these two men of their blindness. And uh, God, I pray that, that in the midst of this time, you would be with us, even in our homes and in our small groups as we gather uh, to watch this Uh, virtually, Lord God, that you would be a part of the preaching of your word and you would minister to the people of LifePoint Church. God, we continue to pray not only for us, but for our brothers and sisters in Christ and other locations in other churches, God, as they try to figure out the best way to minister to the, the people of their congregations as well. Lord, I pray specifically for, for small church pastors and for congregants who may not have these type of resources. Lord, would you minister to them as they try to remain uh, committed to one another and, and, and be unified as the body of Christ. We pray, Lord, for our brothers and sisters across the world who are, are sheltering in place as we are, but with, uh, in so many cases, with so much fewer resources than we have. God, would you minister to them? God, would you minister to our missionaries, uh, some of them still on the field, doing all that they can uh, to reach out and to minister uh, to their neighbors and to those around them. So we pray for them, God. We lift up our missionaries today and ask your blessing upon them and the work that they're doing. God, would you pour out your spirit upon them and upon the people that they are caring for? Lord, would you be with our our leaders, with our president and with our Congress and with his advisors and uh, with the medical personnel as they try to make good decisions on behalf of our nation? Would you be with our first responders and our uh, physicians and our nurses and and others who are caring for uh, the elderly and and, uh, those who are, are, are hurting in nursing homes and in rehab facilities? Lord, we have some of our own people in those situations, both on the serving side and the being served side. So we pray for them. We pray, God, that you would pour out your spirit upon them today. 
God, we ask that in the midst of this time of crisis, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified and that your church would, would excel and that people would know the love of Jesus Christ and that we would care for one another, Lord, within LifePoint Church and, and outside of LifePoint Church, within our families, within our small groups, God, as we call one another and email one another and text one another, that you would be in the midst of all these things, God, as we care for one another, as we carry one another's burdens, Lord, and thus fulfill the law of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray these things. We ask that you would be honored and glorified in all these things, as we know that you are, Lord God, as we know that you are. Meet us now, Lord, as we open your word, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, we come into this Palm Sunday, and uh, we are going to take a break uh, at least uh, for two weeks, well, not at least for two weeks, for two weeks, for Palm Sunday and for uh, Easter, for Resurrection Sunday, from our Genesis study, and then we'll return to that in just a few, in just a few weeks. But today, I want to turn to the Gospel of Matthew and to a text that I, I really love. Uh, one that is recorded also in Mark's gospel, or an account, a story that's recorded in Mark and Luke's gospels as well. And just an incredible story of the mercy and grace of God. I find myself wondering, I suspect that you do as well, about the mercy of God at times, uh, particularly in times like this, particularly when people come to me and ask me about the mercy of God. Where is God in the midst of a pandemic? Where is God in the midst of family members who are quarantined and suffering? And, and where is God in the midst of, of, of families being separated and, and all these things that are taking place? And we wonder, I think, at times, does God actually know who we are? Does God love us? Does God care for us? Uh, I've mentioned before that my mother in uh, our kitchen in my home growing up had this embroidered piece of artwork uh, that is, that's been kind of just uh, uh, impressed upon my mind. I still see the place where it's at in the kitchen uh, where it hung for many, many years of my life. And it's simply embroidered and it says, do you have time to pray? God has time to listen. And, and I saw that most days of my life growing up. It's a nice sentiment. I think it's a true sentiment as well. But I admit there are times in my life, and I suspect there are times in your life, when you begin to wonder about those things. It might enter your mind. Is God actually listening? Does God have time? Does God really care? People are suffering. Wars are being waged. Uh, people are dying. Uh, things are taking place across uh, the globe today uh, that uh, are not pleasant things, that are the, the clear result of us living in a fallen world. Horrible crimes are being committed, probably as I tape this right now, and not just in other parts of the world, but right here in Indianapolis as well. These are difficult times, and we live in a difficult world, and we live in a world that is suffering and calling out, and in, and in, in uh, the pains of childbirth, uh, Paul says, awaiting for its liberation, awaiting for its, re for, its, uh, for its redemption. And we wonder, is God hearing us in the midst of of all these things. The psalmist wondered that as well. Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy, he says. He wants God to hear him. One can just imagine at the back of his mind, he, he may be wondering, God, are you hearing me? Are your ears attentive to my cries for mercy? And so we ask these questions, and they are real questions uh, for us. Uh, for, for, for everybody, we all, we all ask these questions. 
Friends, one of the more beautiful things about the scriptures that God has preserved for us is they don't just simply tell us what to believe, but, but, but how we are to believe. They don't just tell us what to do, but they tell us how to do it. Uh, they, they give us examples of these things. And so it is with this age-old question, does God really have the time, does God really have the inclination to know and care for every individual who has ever lived on the planet? The billions and billions of people who, who have lived on our planet. Or does he, or maybe more importantly, can he care for every single one of us? And the scriptures don't just tell us yes to those questions. The, script, the scriptures, they, they give us the answer to that in action. They show us the answer in action. And so I want to I turn to, to Matthew's gospel, chapter 20, today. And uh, read from verses 29 through 34. For those of you who have known Christ for many years, this is a story that you'll be familiar with. But it is an incredibly beautiful story. And I think apropos for Palm Sunday, uh, because it speaks to us of an event that takes place as Jesus is moving toward uh, the city of Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday. So Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. Let me stand as, uh, as I read this text to you today. Matthew says, and as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And so this is Jesus and his disciples that are moving now toward the city of Jerusalem and coming out of the city of Jericho. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and they followed him. Amen. And so our passage for today tells the story like this. Jesus is heading to his last Passover celebration in the city of Jerusalem, known as the city of Zion in the Old Testament. And as he heads towards the city, he has, he has left the northern region of Galilee where he grew up, where he had done most of his ministry or much of his ministry during the three years of his incarnation and Galilee's in the north, and so he's come south for this last time to the region of Judea. And along the way, Matthew tells us, as do Mark and Luke, that Jesus has been teaching, and he's been talking about things like <clears throat> marriage. He's talked about the sanctity of marriage. He has demonstrated his love for children. The children have been coming to him to be blessed, and his disciples have rebuked the children, and in turn, Jesus rebukes his disciples and says, let the children come to me. This is, this is what the kingdom of heaven is made up of, of, of innocence like this, of faith like this. And so he, he shows his, his love and his commitment to the least of these, to the, to the children of the world. He has had a wealthy young man that has come to him and has been taught by Jesus, and has been loved by Jesus, the scriptures tell us. And even after that, that love is rejected by this wealthy young man. He shared a parable about the mercy of God and allowing people to enter into the kingdom of God, even at the very last moment. 
and then sharing out of his abundance with them the same way that he will share with all those who have been a part of the kingdom for many, many years, many, maybe many, many decades, demonstrating God's mercy and grace that those who come even at the last moment will be received and will be cared for as if they have always been a part of the kingdom of God. He has for the third time told his disciples what awaits him in Jerusalem. And he's very specific about it. He will go to Jerusalem and there he will be handed over to the chief priests and to the Gentiles. And there he will be uh, persecuted. He will be mocked. He will, he will be scourged. And then he will be crucified, but he will rise on the third day. And we wonder, my goodness, with that kind of, of accuracy, with that type of a description, how did the, how did the disciples miss this? How did they miss it? And friends, it's just easy to miss these things when our eyes are focused on ourselves, when our eyes are focused on everything that's happening to us, even things in great detail kind of just go right by us as they went right by the disciples. They just miss this. They miss this, the the, the description and the, the detail in which Jesus tells them why they're heading to Jerusalem. After this, the mother of James and John come to Jesus and on behalf of their sons and and at their son's request, because we know from the other gospel accounts, the words are actually put in James and John's mouth. She asks for seats of honor for her sons in the kingdom of God. Jesus has just said what he's going to Jerusalem for. Jesus has just demonstrated great love and compassion for people. Jesus has, has, has been in the midst of a busy, busy agenda. And in the midst of this, the mother of James and John come to him and say, hey, how about seats of honor for my sons? And Jesus has to say to James and John directly, um, do you know what you're asking for? Are you going to be able to drink from the cup that I'm drinking from? And their answer to him is, is pathetic. Their answer is, yeah, we can do that. We can do that. We can drink from the cup you're about to drink from, Jesus. And Jesus one has to assume is a bit incredulous at this point. And so he says to them, you will indeed drink from this cup. You you are going to drink from this cup of persecution that I am drinking from. And yet, the honor of who will sit with me in the kingdom of God on my right and my left hand, those, those are reserved for the Father, for the first person of the Trinity. They are not granted to me. And Jesus has, has, has given that uh, uh, willingly to the Father to make those, those decisions. And so these are some of the things that have, have taken place as Jesus has made his, his march, as it were, to the city of uh, Jerusalem. Jesus, after that, takes a moment to speak on, on humility, to speak on the, the beauty of, of servanthood and how we are to serve one another in humility. And now, as we get to our text, they are coming out of the city of, of, of Jericho. Jericho is this ancient uh, city, uh, quite possibly the most ancient city on the planet, this city of Jericho. And there's an old Jericho and a new Jericho by the time of Jesus. And so there's kind of two riddles here, and we won't spend a lot of time on this. But the question is, is, is there one man or two men? Um, Matthew and Luke tell us that there are two blind uh, men who are seeking Jesus' mercy and favor. Mark tells us that there is one man. Mark names that man as well. Are they, 
are they leaving Jericho or are they entering Jericho? Uh, Matthew, Luke as well tell us that he's leaving. Mark tells us that he's coming into to Jericho. So the question is, is what, what's happening here? Uh, is there one man? Is there two men? Is, is he leaving Jericho? Is he coming into Jericho? And quite frankly, friends, the reality is, is these are not difficult to deal with. Um, there were two Jer- Jerichos in Jesus' day, an old Jericho and a new Jericho. It's very likely that these beggars, uh, that Bartimaeus by, by name and the other uh, beggar and the blind man, are there between the two cities and Jesus is, is, is uh, leaving uh, the old city of Jericho and preparing to enter into the new city of Jericho. And so it just depends on your frame of reference as you, as you speak about these things. Matthew is far more detailed in his account, uh, in his gospel account than Mark is. And so he gives us more detail than Mark gives us here. There are two blind men who are seeking Jesus' favor. One of them is named by, by Mark. His name is, is Bartimaeus, or uh, more literally, Bar-Timaeus, which means in, in the Hebrew, he is the son of Bar, a man by the name of Timaeus. We call him Bartimaeus. His name is Bar-Timaeus. And he is a blind man, and he is the spokesman. He is the one who is speaking. And so Mark's going to focus on him. Matthew and Luke are going to tell us in more detail that there are actually two, uh, two blind men there. But Jesus here in our count today, verse 29, is leaving the city of Jericho. And then in verse 30, the men hear that Jesus is passing by. Mark tells us uh, that, that they, they not only hear it, but they ask, what's all the commotion? These are blind men, but, but they can smell the dust. They can hear the commotion. And so they're asking, what's going on? What's happening? And they're told that Jesus is, is passing by. And so this man, Bartimaeus, as the spokesman for the two, he, he comes to Jesus and, and he cries out to Jesus. And so when they hear this, now Bartimaeus says, Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David, he cries out. Or as Mark says, he cries out, Lord, have mercy. Son of David, have mercy on, on me. Have mercy on us, they cry out. Bartimaeus knows the scriptures here, friends. He knows who Jesus is. He's, he's familiar with texts like 2 Samuel chapter 7. He's familiar with texts like Isaiah 11. He knows that as one who is coming, who is a son of David, who will be a king, who will be Messiah. And so he cries out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, have mercy on us. Because he, he knows what Jesus is capable of. He knows what his need is. He knows who can provide for that need. And so he cries out for mercy. But verse 131 tells us that the crowds are growing impatient with these guys. They are crying out to Jesus and Jesus is making his way by. And so they're essentially saying to them, be quiet. Or, or a, a phrase that, that uh, children, your, your parents will tell you we shouldn't use. And that's the phrase, shut up. It's a very direct uh, address. It is a rebuke. It is a way of saying, I don't want to hear you speak anymore. And so the, 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 the crowds are saying to these two beggars, uh, be quiet. Let your mouths be, be shut. Uh, the Greek word is, is siopao. They're saying siopao to these men, which means be quiet. Or, or more directly, it means be mute. It's a word that, that's used for those who cannot speak. So it's, it's as if the crowds are saying to them, you're blind. Now let muteness be added to, to, your, to your issues, to your problems in life. Or in other words, we don't, wanna, we don't want to hear from you. 
You can't see, and we don't want to hear from you either. And so the crowds tell them to be quiet. But this only causes Bartimaeus and his, his blind friend to cry out even louder, Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David, it's, it's this cry. You can almost sense, right? You can almost sense their desperation. Uh, have, have mercy on us. Uh, John Calvin, as he writes in his commentary on this, says he, he thinks that it's likely that, that because uh, two of our gospel writers say that Jesus is entering Jericho, and one says that he's, he's leaving Jericho, that, that what is likely here is that Jesus ignored these two blind men as he came into the city, and now as he turns around and leaves the city, he, he is walking by them again, and, and in desperation, they realize this is their last chance. And so you can hear the desperation in these men. Jesus, have mercy on us. And then they cry out, Son of David, Son of David, you're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been anticipating. We know this. We're crying out your name. Hear our cry. Hear our cry of mercy. Let your ear be attentive to our cry for mercy. And Jesus, Jesus hears them, the scripture tells us. Now, friends, remember, Jesus has a point of view in all this as well, right? Jesus has stuff going on in his life and ministry as well. He's heading toward a great day in Jerusalem. He's heading toward what we call Palm Sunday. He's heading toward the triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. He's going to be sung to by the crowds. Palm branches are going to be cut. They're going to be laid before him because they are recognizing the the coming of their king. And this is a great day for Jesus. Hosanna, the crowds will cry out, to Jesus here. Save us, they will say. Notice, everything is always about do something for us, Jesus, right? Hear us, Jesus. Son of David, hear us. Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they're going to cry out. Psalm 24 is going to be lived out in this day in Jesus' life. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. This is a great day for Jesus. I've, I've preached on this text out of Mark's gospel before, Mark 10. And there I called it Jesus' red letter day. This is a good day for Jesus. For one day, for one part of a day in Jesus' life and ministry, things are going to be as they should be. Things are going to be as they should have always been with the coming of the second person of the Godhead, with the coming of, the, of, of, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. For, for part of a day, things are going to be as they're supposed to be. But Jesus is in the middle of a red-letter day, friends. This is heady stuff for Jesus. He has an agenda. He has a following. The crowds are with him. He is moving toward the goal of his ministry. One might even say he is moving toward the goal of the incarnation itself. He's heading to Zion for the last time. He's heading to Jerusalem for the very last time. And friends, remember this, there's thousands of blind people in Palestine in the day of Jesus. There's, there's thousands of men who are blind. There's thousands of women who are born blind or have become blind. There's thousands of children who are blind in Palestine on this day. Jesus isn't going to heal all of them. It's just two guys. They're common beggars. They're common beggars, Luke tells us. They're just begging by the side of the road. Friends, go to the Middle East today. Go to, go to third world nations today. And you will see as you go into almost any spot where tourists are expected, beggars on the side of the road. This is a common sight. 
Go to downtown Indianapolis today. This is a common scene in a fallen world. This is just two beggars. This is just two blind men. But verse 32 tells us that Jesus stops. He stops. Luke tells us that, the, that, the, that, that Jesus calls out to these men in, in, the, in the crowds now after saying, uh, be quiet, shut up. They say, oh, be of good cheer, guys. He's calling you, come. And so, so he calls to them. And then Jesus asks them an interesting question, right? What do you want me to do for you? What is it that you want, right? Tell me. I'm not just going to assume. You're, you're going you're to tell me what you want from me. Friends, God isn't just going to constantly assume what we need. He knows what we need. I, I spoke of this a couple of weeks ago. But he is going to call us to ask. He is going to say, come to me. Ask me. Pray. Seek me. Let there be supplication, as we talked about in Philippians 4. Let there be thanksgiving. Let there be cries for mercy. And so Jesus says to them, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus says, we want to see. We want our eyes to be opened. Mark records that he says, Rabbi, teacher, I want to see. I, I, want, I want my eyes to be opened. I want to see who you are. I want to see the world around me. And this is no small request, right? This is no small request. What do you want me to do for you? Well, I'm blind. I'd like to see. Yeah, we would say, well, what else would you like for me to do for you? Because there's nothing I can do about that. Friends, in our world of, of scientific innovation, there's very little we can do for people who are blind, particularly for people who are born blind. This is no small request that they make of Jesus. You may recall, if you're familiar with the scripture, 2 Kings chapter 5, where a man named Naaman has leprosy. It's also something that's not easy to cure. And the king of Syria loves Naaman, and so he sends him to Israel because he hears there's a prophet in Israel who, who can possibly heal him. And he sends a letter to the king of Israel, Jehoram, and, and, and he says to him, I'm sending to you Naaman, and he's coming to be healed of his leprosy. And, and, and the king of Israel says, what, what, what kind of a request is this? What, what, am I God? Am I God that I'm going to heal this man of his leprosy? These are not small requests. They're impossible requests of human beings. But Bartimaeus asks, nevertheless, this, his blind friend, they ask, nevertheless, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, well, we, we want to see. We're blind. We would like to behold this world that God has made. Friends, Jesus is a busy man. And Bartimaeus and his friend have interrupted his day. He's tired. He's grieving. He's heading to Jerusalem for the very last time. He's moving towards the holy city. The Passover celebration awaits Jesus. But Jesus refuses to ignore these voices. He refuses to ignore the voices of these men. Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David, Messiah, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, have mercy on us. And friends, this is not unique in the ministry of Jesus. If you're familiar with the gospel accounts, you know this is not unique in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 9, an incredible story, beautiful story of Jesus as he gets out of a boat and he's met directly by a man by the name of Jairus who's a synagogue ruler. He's a leader 
And he comes to Jesus and he says, my daughter is dying. Would you come? Would you lay your hands on her? And so Jesus comes with him. But along the way, he's met by a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. She has a, she's, she has a, a menstrual bleed that has made her um, unclean, made her an outcast. The scriptures tell us that she spent all her money on doctors, and the doctors have essentially said, we can do nothing for you. Now she comes to Jesus. It's her last hope. She reaches out. You remember the story? She reaches out. She touches the hem of his garment, and she's healed. And Jesus stops in his tracks. Who touched me, he says. Who touched me? And the disciples, as incredulous as they are, as uncaring as they always seem to be, are like, who touched you? There's a a crowd around you. Everybody's touching you. Who touched you? What kind of a question is that? Jesus says, no, no, somebody touched me. Power has gone out from me. And now the woman comes in and falls at 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 his feet and says, I'm the one who touched you. And Jesus says, woman, your your faith has healed you. And she goes her way, but the interruption now has clearly caused Jairus a lot of consternation because Jesus is supposed to be healing his daughter. And if you know the rest of the story, he goes to Jairus' home, interrupted twice, and heals his daughter, raises her to, to, to life again. Matthew chapter 9, again, crowds of people around Jesus. He's weary, he's tired. The scripture says he's looking for a place to rest. But he sees them, and they are like sheep without a shepherd. And so he has compassion on them. John 4, Jesus is tired. He's sitting by a well. A woman comes, he says, could I have some water? And then he begins this incredible dialogue with her that leads to her salvation, to the salvation of many people in that city of Sychar. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 8, is walking into a city, and a man with leprosy comes and falls down at his feet right in front of him. What is he going to do, right? He falls at his feet, and he begs him, and he says, Lord, if you desired, you could heal me. If, if you would, if you will, you could heal me. And do you remember Jesus' response to that? His response is the first to touch this, lep- this man with leprosy, and then to say, I am willing, I am willing to heal you. Mark chapter 5, Jesus comes to the region of the Gadarenes, and a demoniac comes to him, and we think, what a cool story, right? Here's this man, he's got thousands of demons in him. His name is Legion, he's got so many demons in him. Pigs are going to die, and amazing things are going to happen, and yet there's a man there, right? I mean, there's a human being there. And Jesus heals him. And when it's done, the man comes to Jesus and he says, I want to, I want to follow you. I want to, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, you can't. You, you're going to stay here. You're going to go home. You're going to tell your family about everything that God has done for you. Friends, Jesus is in the middle of teaching at one point. He's in the middle of teaching in a home. And four friends dig a hole through the roof and drop their friend in front of Jesus, a paralytic, right there in front of Jesus as he's teaching. You know, my ministry at times is busy, and my ministry um, has interruptions in it sometimes, but I've yet to ever been in my, be in my office and have somebody dig a hole through the roof and drop somebody in front of me and say, heal this man, pastor. Uh, Jesus is in the middle of some busy stuff here, and yet 
These people have no problems interrupting Jesus. Jesus stops this day to heal two men who are blind. He responds to their faith, the scripture says. He's a compassionate healer, this Jesus that we serve, this Jesus that we celebrate on this Palm Sunday. Grace and mercy are Jesus's to give because he is God. He is the son of God. John 5, he says, as the father uh, um, raises the dead and gives life, so the son gives life to whomever he chooses, to whomever he will. Compassion and grace and mercy are Jesus's to give in, in, in abundance. Healing is Jesus's to give. It's an impossible request for someone to drop somebody in front of me in my office and say, Pastor, heal this man. But it's not an impossible request for Jesus. It's not impossible for Jesus. Faith is the means by which these men would be healed. Faith is, faith is the means by which these men will be saved as well. They follow Jesus. All three biblical accounts tell us that. They follow Jesus, but they follow him now with eyes that can see. They follow him now with eyes that can see. And so our God is a God of mercy and love, friends. He is a God of mercy and love. He is perfect in his attributes. He is absolutely perfect in his attributes, which means his mercy and his love are therefore perfected in Christ. God's mercy and his love are perfected in Jesus Christ. And yet in that mercy, Jesus is going to demonstrate incredible humility incredible humility as well. No big fanfare here. Just a simple act of mercy to two blind men. Humility and mercy are closely tied together, friends. Humility and power are closely tied together. This is the story that leads into the story from in our text today. It is the story of James and John. They would like a place of power. They would like seats of honor. And Jesus says, that's not how it works. Power and humility go together. Mercy and humility go together. I'm among you as one who serves, Jesus said. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you must become the least. You must learn to serve others. We must learn to care for others. Friends, this is why the early church, they served people, they cared for people. This is why many of you at LifePoint, in the midst of this pandemic, are caring for people. You're serving people. You're serving family. You're opening up your home. You're going to, to Wheeler Mission. You're going to other places to care and to serve for people. You're helping your brothers and sisters in Christ here. I'm getting emails that are telling me that, that people right here in our church family have other members of our church family going to their homes, uh, 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 bringing groceries to them, bringing supplies to them. This is the body of Christ. This is mercy. This is grace. This is humility. This is, this is what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to remind the Pharisees of that very soon as he enters into the city of Jerusalem. Matthew chapter 23 tells us that he'll say to these Pharisees, these leaders of Jerusalem, woe to you, he says to them, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites all, hypocrites all. You, you tithe your 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 dill, you tithe your cumin, you tithe these little parts of your, of your garden, you give 10% to the Lord, but you've neglected, he says, the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness, he said, these are the weightier matters of the law. You should have been doing those former things, those, you should have been tithing those things while you were doing these more important things, demonstrating justice and mercy 
and faithfulness. You're blind guides, he says to them. When you're drinking, you, you will use a strainer so that you will strain out all the impurities from your drink. You are that detailed. And in so doing, he says, you, you will strain out a gnat and you will swallow a camel. We don't want to be hypocrites, friends. I don't want to be a hypocrite. You don't want to be a hypocrite. Let's demonstrate mercy to people. Let's, let's seek the weightier issues of the law of God, justice and mercy and faithfulness. This is what God wants from us in the kingdom of God. But let's remember this as we do that, friends. God is not too busy for us today. It is not difficult for God to take care of big things and little things all at the same time. Friends, God is not preoccupied with a global pandemic. It does not have God busy. It does not God have working overtime. He handles a Christian's plea for help. He, he handles a penitent's cry for mercy with the same amount of effort that he handles a child's scraped knee. A child weeping because of, of issues in the child's life. He handles all these things, quite frankly, friends, with the same amount of effort that he'd handled the, handled the creation of the cosmos. Our God is a big God. Our God is a great God. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the Scriptures tell us in the book of Revelation. He is both the Lion of the tribe of Judah and the author and the perfecter of our faith. And He's those things at the same time and a thousand other things. He's the same God who beckoned the little children to come to Him. He's also the same God who destroyed 180,000 Assyrian warriors who dared to camp around the city of Jerusalem without God's mandate that they would do so. He is the one and same God. He is the God of all peace, and He is the God of all justice at one and the same time. He has absolutely no difficulty being both at the same time. Friends, remember this. The difficulty in understanding God is our difficulty. It's not His difficulty. He's not trying to figure Himself out. He's not trying to understand who He is. He knows who He is. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knows who he is. He's a God of, of mercy and compassion and graciousness and a God of justice. He's a God of faithfulness. He's that God to me and to you today. He's that God to us today. And so, friends, the question is not, can he do it? The question I think we ask is, will he do it? Will he do these things for us? Will he hear us when we pray? Will he hear us? We might say, as the leper said to him, you could make me clean if you were willing. Right? We might say to him, Jesus, you could save me if you were willing. And Jesus' response is, I am willing. I am willing. So friends, what are we going to do on this Palm Sunday? What will we do today? What will we do today? Will you cry out to Jesus today? Will you say, Lord, have mercy on me, son of David, Messiah, King? Will you have mercy on me today? That's what God would have you do. That would be, that would be my call to you as your pastor today, that we would call out to God for mercy and grace, for forgiveness but friends, our pride has to be broken. Our reliance on ourselves has got to be broken. We will not heal ourselves today. These two blind men would not heal themselves. Bartimaeus could not heal himself. It's why he said, 
Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, son of David, is why he said, I want to see. I want to see. I want to be healed. Because he knew he couldn't do it himself. Friends, our pride has to be broken. Our self-reliance has to be broken. As the missionary Hudson Taylor said, we cannot be our own savior. Not in whole and not in part. We will never save ourselves. So friends, today on this Palm Sunday, let God break your pride. Let God break your pride. And seek a merciful savior today, friends. Let God break your pride and seek a merciful savior today. God will do it. He will hear you. He will hear your cry for mercy. He will hear your call of repentance. And he will respond in grace and in mercy. He can do it. He will do it. God be praised. He's done it in my life. I trust he'll do it in your life today. It's my prayer for you that he would do that for you today. Friends, God bless you on this Palm Sunday. God bless you today on this Sunday as you worship in your homes with your families in the midst of of this shelter in place, God will have mercy on us. God is king. God is the Alpha and the Omega. He's sitting on his throne today on Palm Sunday. Rejoice in that. Those of us who know him, rejoice in that. Worship him in that. And those of us who don't, let God break your pride today. Come to him. Find hope and mercy and healing in Jesus Christ today. Father, would you do that for us? We pray that. Lord God, would you meet us today? Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us today as we cry out to you. We worship you today, Lord Jesus. You are God. You are King. You are Messiah. We worship you in this day. Father, do good on our behalf, I pray. Do good on behalf of the people of Life Point Church this week, I pray for them. I pray for us, Lord God that you would have mercy on us as we go into our week. I pray it all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.